This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. So exciting. I mean, it's getting really exciting because we got some results. We got some previews and it's not looking down the line. It's here when we talk about the election. A lot going on overseas, too. Josh Holmes is going to be with us this hour. You know that he is a, a former chief of staff to Senator Mitch McConnell, president and founding partner of Calvary LLC, but co-host of the Ruthless Podcast. So you want to go inside Washington, the elections, uh, as well as this legislation that could get hatched, that could unleash some aid for Ukraine badly needed so they could push back against the Russians and Israel. We'll talk about that. Mark Thiessen standing by. And keep in mind, if you want to catch the show anywhere, so if you're not, if you leave our family of affiliates, get that Fox News app. You just click on uh, watch the show live. You can just click on the headsets and you can watch on the Fox News app. Plus, plus watch on Fox Nation. And you can always get the podcast on all your platforms. Let's get going. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The U.S. military says it destroyed 14 missile positions in Yemen overnight, calling them an imminent threat that could have been fired at any time. Belonging to the Iran-backed Houthis, for months the armed militants have been attacking merchant ships. Yesterday, the U.S. designated them a terrorist group. About time, Biden attacks again, and yet the Houthi rebels' rockets in the Red Sea continue. Has anyone come up with a game plan, or are we just winging it? One thing I know for sure is the current situation not going well. Number two. There was an ongoing emergency situation that Border Patrol was blocked from accessing. The White House statement says that Texas officials blocked U.S. Border Patrol from attempting to provide emergency assistance. Two, there were other there were other migrants in the water Then why wasn't well. that in- Stop lying. Again, the Biden administration lying about the drowning death in the Rio Grande over the weekend. Anxious to pin it on the Texas authorities. The facts tell a different story. Negotiations are right now to on to fix the disastrous southern border. And they drone on about an incident that didn't happen. When will this president feel the urgency the American people are screaming about? Number one. I wish the Democrats would think a little more carefully when they talk about MAGA and they're basically scapegoating them, that you are like him. Now, if you look, just take a step back, be honest. He's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. He grew the economy quite well, but he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. Five days until the GOP's first primary, and there's a chance it could be Nikki Haley's last as a new poll has her back down double digits to Trump. We're going to look at the race and the media's reaction to a resurgent former president and the unhinged reaction in some centers, and the DeSantis-South Carolina play. And let's bring in Mark Thiessen for that. Uh, you know Mark, Washington Post, Fox News contributor, see him all over the channel. Uh, Mark, your thoughts about what Jamie Dimon said. It yeah, kind of sounds like you. i got a bone to pick with you. Which he just, is? He just plugged Josh Holmes coming on, plugged the heck out of his podcast, shamelessly promote his podcast. What about my podcast? i got a podcast. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> Allison said it wasn't that good. Oh, there you go. That's why. No, what that, the hell is going on? Check it out. No, no uh, look. Was that, was that the name of it? Yeah, what the hell is going well, on? Well, Mark, what I, just, 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 just so you know. Just so you know, Mark. 
Mark, just so you know, I never plugged my first guest because I'm going to talk to you right away. I understand. Right. It's fair. It's so, fair. So fair. how about this? How about what Jamie Dimon said? I found that fascinating. Yeah. Knowing yeah, that he met with Nikki Haley and he's probably going to endorse Nikki Haley. Yeah. Well, he's right. But, I mean, look, why, are, why, are, why is Joe Biden and the Democrats go play, doing this MAGA play? One, because it worked. You know, it worked in 2020. It worked in 2020. It worked in 2022. You know, they, if you think about it, if you remember, they spent tens of millions of dollars in ads in the primaries promoting MAGA candidates that they thought would be easy to beat in these House and Senate races. And they and they were they won every one of those races where they where they were succeeded in that. So it's 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 a successful play and it's their only play because Joe Biden is the most unpopular president in the history of presidential polling, going all the way back to Harry Truman at the at the end of World War Two. Uh, I, I used to have to caveat that by saying, except for Jimmy Carter or not named Jimmy Carter. He's now 11 points less popular at this point in his presidency than Jimmy Carter was when he was going into his election with Ronald Reagan. Um, he is underwater on every single issue. There's not an issue where he has popular support. And so, you know, what is his play? His play is I'm not Trump. His play is Trump's a threat. And so that's that's what they're playing. Uh, that's the card they're playing, and they're going to keep playing it because it's the one, it's the only card they have, and two, it's a successful card. It works for them. I think abortion worked in the midterms and bad candidates like uh, yeah. Mastriano in Pennsylvania. I have yeah. nothing against Dr. Oz, by the way. I thought he was fine. I just thought they, um, but that was a killer primary had against Abe McCormick. Let's see if he could do it. So having yeah. said having said that, this is where we're at right now. The latest poll has. Nikki Haley down again, double digits on the same poll that had her within single digits. It's the first post-Iowa poll. I have not spoken to you since Iowa. First off, what is your assessment in this state? Uh, So, first of all, Iowa, big win for Donald Trump. Uh, you know, the, uh, the we were told that Trump supporters would uh, crawl over broken glass to vote for him. Well, they marched through the frozen thunder to vote for him. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, it was it, it was almost to be expected. You've had the last three years where they've had to sit back and watch while he had his second impeachment, 91 indictments, the efforts to throw him off the ballot using the 14th Amendment. And this was the first time Trump supporters actually could do something for him. And they came out. Um, but it was. 50,000, 56,000 voters that voted for Donald Trump, 7 percent of the GOP electorate, because most people didn't show up, partly because of the snow, for whatever reasons. They don't get to decide the, the, uh, the, 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 uh, who the nominee is. There's, there's a lot of voting to, be, uh, to go on. And so we're going to New Hampshire, and it's not over yet. Here is Ron DeSantis yesterday, cut 12. So we went to South Carolina, knocked out a couple of events, and then did what we were pl- planning to do in New Hampshire. That was somehow caricatured as yeah. skipping New Hampshire when it wasn't. It was adding South Carolina in addition uh, to that. So, uh, Mark, you've seen a lot of game plans. How do you feel about DeSantis going pretty much to South Carolina? We know he's going to be – he's not going to do great in New Hampshire. He hasn't invested hard, hard there. Yeah, he's, playing, he's, uh, he's, he's at 5% in New Hampshire. I mean, look, Nikki Haley overperformed in Iowa. She didn't invest a lot in Iowa compared to uh, Ron DeSantis, and he beat her by like two, less than two, two points. Um, and that kind of helps her in a way, because if he, had, if he had come in third in Iowa, he'd have to get out. And most of his voters are, are sort of soft MAGA voters. They probably would have gone to Trump. So it probably helps her to have him in the race in Iowa and pull 5%, uh, you know, gets her closer to, to, to a victory over there. Look, it, it, they, they both, after Iowa, both DeSantis and Nikki Haley still have a path to the nomination, but it's really narrow. Nikki Haley has to win New Hampshire. 
And then she has to go on with, with some momentum and go and win her home state of South Carolina. If she can do that, then she goes into Super Tuesday, where there are a lot of states like California and Vermont and Massachusetts where she could be very competitive and we'd have a race. But, you know, it's like it's like, you know, it's the third period. You're down four nothing. You got to score four goals, you know, or else it's over. Um, to, to, and, and that's where she is. Ron DeSantis's play is to wait and see if she fails to do that. So if she loses to Trump in New Hampshire and it's, you know, not even close, like it's by double digits, and then she loses in her home state in, in South Carolina, she's got to get out. Then he's the last man standing. He's Ted Cruz, 2016. He's the last guy. And all the non-Trump vote comes to DeSantis. And then he gets to go mano a mano with, with Donald Trump on Super Tuesday. He gets the two-man race that he's wanted. And, again, it's a long shot, but, but that's, that's, you know, it, it's a Hail Mary pass. Cruz didn't complete it, uh, and he thinks maybe he could. So, and he, and he, and then he's the guy standing there in case, you know, so for some legal means or something like that. Donald Trump is convicted of a felony, uh, put in jail, you know, whatever that happens. Uh, he's there to inherit it. I think he's the second choice of most Trump supporters. Uh, so, you know, I think that's his play for the nomination. And they're they're both possible. They're just not likely. So you've you've seen the different tone of Trump after he won. And even yesterday, uh, he said Nikki and Ron did a good job. They had fun together, <laughs> which is <laughs> that was so funny. It cracked me up. Uh, and then, but he, he, Ron and Nikki, not the sanctimonious and bird brain. So yeah. that's a little bit uh, a little bit different. I want you to hear what Trump said yesterday. <laughs> cut nine. By the time he joined the campaign, he was pretty much decapitated. But he has not done he has not done a good job in campaigning. But I'm sure he's a nice fellow. I think he's going to be gone. I think all of those applause. That was funny. But I think he's. I think you can probably save him for about a week or so because I think he's going to be gone. He's in fifth. Yeah. Well, we're going to hear that. I suspect now. Well, I hear he's going to drop out pretty soon, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, may God bless him. Do you agree? May God bless him. He's going to need it. Yeah, I mean, he won right from court to do another appearance. He's going to do uh, three appearances over the weekend. He's going to do a bunch on Monday night. And then he's going to look for the knockout uh, if you're Trump after this. If he has a double-digit win after New Hampshire, and I call Mark Thiessen up on Wednesday, what do you think? What do you th- What changes? Well, I'm going to be on Fox and Friends with you on Wednesday, I think, so we can talk about it. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you going to be in New Hampshire? I am. I'm, coming, um, I'm going to be on your show. All right, so you've got to uh, come so on the radio right after. You. Do you have a curvy couch up there? Uh, I think we will have a couch. Allison, do we, do we have, uh, we going to book Mark Thiessen for Wednesday? All right, good. So you do radio right after. So, so if, if it's a double digit win, what are you going to be telling yeah. us? I'm going to be telling you that it's a huge win for Donald Trump and that it's, it's, you know, Nikki Haley's, you know, on the ropes. Um, you know, she's then, but I, let's see, um, that hasn't happened yet. So let's see what happens in New Hampshire. You know, the, 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 all these people are say, complaining about Haley. The Democrats are voting for her. Independents are voting for her. There was a lot of controversy in New Hampshire because it was a, I think, an NBC News uh, Des Moines Register poll that showed that for, no, CBS it showed 40 percent of her voters would vote. Uh, only 40 percent of her voters would vote for Trump. Or maybe, no, it was 40 percent would vote for, uh, for Biden. 23 and, for you know, Trump. Yeah. And, you know, I look at that and I say, that's awesome. That means she has crossover field. That means she can peel voters away from Biden. Those are, those are you know, 40 percent of her electorate are people who would otherwise be voting for Biden but would vote for her. That's great. You know, that's, that's what we need going into November. You know, it, how did Ronald Reagan beat Jimmy Carter? 
he beat him with the Reagan Democrats who became Republicans. <laughs> you know, they, 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 if, if there are Haley Democrats who want to vote for her and and uh, and would support her instead of Biden, that's how that's the reason why she is the only candidate who consistently has double digit lead over Joe Biden in the in the uh, in the national polls and and in the swing states. Um, you know, the, the, she has she's the candidate with crossover appeal. And so, you know, the case that she's making to her vote to the voters in New Hampshire and South Carolina is, do you want this to be a toss up or do you want a landslide? Because that's where we are. Donald Trump, Joe Biden is, as I said, the wor- the most unpopular president in the history of polling. Trump is beating him by one point two points in the RCP average. That's a statistical right. tie. And, it's and just- that's going to tighten as you get closer to the election. Um, and also, you know, Trump is benefiting from the fact that he's basically been in the basement for three years, right? We haven't seen him. Uh, I, people haven't seen him every day. We have, the TV hasn't been covering his rallies. He's not been out doing rallies, you know? And he's going to be very exposed. He's going to, people are going to be seeing him in the courtrooms and, and they're doing press conferences about Eugene Carroll and blah, blah, blah. And they're going to be reminded why they didn't vote for him, these swing voters. I mean, our people love him and great. I, you know, I love him too. But there's the swing voters who are deciding this election in five states don't, and they're going to be reminded why they don't like him. So this is good. If he's our nominee, it's going to be a toss-up. He could win, but it's not likely. The only thing you're not taking into into account is that Mm -hmm. everything that Joe Biden has done has turned on people, from the inflation to the border— to uh, the Middle East is in flames. His secretary of defense has disappeared. It didn't matter. They weren't speaking. All true. Right. And that's when when they come out, if Trump's tone continues to be not into retribution, I'll be too busy. How confident are you are you of that? <laughs> not every day. <laughs> but it'll be it, it, But look, he got 74 million. I'm 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 watching the, the country is coming to him. Uh, rather than him forcing the country to look at the issues. But I want yeah. you to just real quick, I want to get the nuts and bolts of what's happening at Capitol Hill. Uh, the big four met the White House. I can't believe that the president's really concerned about Ukraine, really concerned about Israel funding in Taiwan. And he just takes yeah. a bunch of vacations, goes to Camp David and has one meeting yesterday. Uh, at which time the speaker said, if you don't fix the border, we don't do anything. And it's got to be done the right way. Here's what he told Laura last night, cut 18. No one is strong-arming me. I told the president, I looked right across the table from him in the cabinet uh, official's room, and I said, Mr. President, you have the authority right now to end this catastrophe. It's your actions that created it. In fact, Mr. President, I told him in the meeting today, we've documented 64 instances of you taking executive actions in your agencies that created this catastrophe. Mr. President, it's on you to unwind it. We don't need new laws. You could do it right now. I've cited to him, read him the legal authority on the phone on Thursday of last week that he could take. And you know what he said in the meeting, Lauren? He said, we're ready to do big things on the border. Well, hallelujah, Mr. President. President Biden, do your job. Fix the catastrophe that you've created. It's an unspeakable humanitarian catastrophe, a national security catastrophe. 302,000 people came over the border. So how does this play out? You know everything at stake and how one's attached to the other. So Mark, you've seen so much in Washington. Where's the give? What's the proposal? When does Ukraine get the money? Yeah, so he, first of all, his speaker is absolutely right. So Joe Biden has the same laws on the books that Donald Trump and Barack Obama had when they secured the border. I mean, you know, for example, Barack Obama, they, he, you know, Biden didn't just roll back Trump's immigration policy, he rolled back Obama's. Obama, the left called him the deporter in chief because he deported 3 million migrant, illegal migrants. 
right? Biden has stopped deporting people and he's releasing them. He's paroling them into the country. So, you know, he could do this with the stroke of his pen. The reason what they're trying to do on Capitol Hill is use the legislative process to force him to do things. To, to, to say, may turn what they in Capitol Hill you call maze into shells. You know, you, you instead of the president has the authority to do something, he has to do something. And that's very hard to do from Capitol Hill, but that's what they're trying to do, is to force him to enforce the existing laws. Um, and look, I, I think that the, the, the rub on Joe Biden from the anti-Ukraine right is he cares more about Ukraine's borders than our own. He's got a chance to prove that's not true. And the truth is that all four of those guys who are standing there on the on the on the driveway at the White House, they all support Ukraine, and they're all saying to the president, "We support Ukraine, but if you don't do this, we're 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 not passing anything." Um, and they're right because a Repo- how can a Republican go to his voters and say, "I voted to give sixty-one billion dollars to help Ukraine secure its borders, but I but I, yeah. but I didn't force the president to support it to secure our borders." We've got to do both, and we're a superpower. We can do both. It's, this shouldn't be a, a either or. It's it's a, it's it's within our power to do it. But Joe Biden's got to prove to the American people that he cares about our borders as well as Ukraine. And he's got to come up, realize he does not have leverage here. He's going to yeah, lose this one. 100%. And if he doesn't lose it, the country loses. Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. I'll see you in New Hampshire. See you there. All right. Uh, listen, when we come back, I take your calls. And then bottom of the hour, Josh Holmes has got a podcast. By the way, so does Mark Thiessen. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. There's no doubt that one of the first issues that anyone will think of is the issue they think of when they're at their kitchen table trying to pay their bills, which is how is the economy treating them? So there's no question whatsoever that that is an important issue, which we have been in the process of addressing. We still need to do more. Yeah. uh, So someone told the the vice president, talk about things. Don't stop talking about Bidenomics, even though. The president is going to be speaking today in North Carolina about Bidenomics and Internet carrying uh, in rural areas over in North Carolina. Thinks you can win North Carolina. He usually goes to Philadelphia. Uh, he doesn't like to travel much. It's interesting for a reelection campaign. Once you're Dwight Eisenhower and it's a layup, you pretty much got to work your butt off. He doesn't realize that. But the vice president on The View yesterday, she's doing a lot. Uh, but I just don't think she's a good communicator. I know people thought she did good. The whole message from the left is going to be Donald Trump is scary. The country's in the balance. I know you don't like Joe Biden, but you have no choice. That's not really a good message, I don't think, especially when the other guy is having some fun talking about where he thinks the country was and how we can get it back there.
A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. As you probably know, Nikki Haley is counting on Democrats to think of that. She's damn well, they want to run against her. They're putting a lot of Democrats because they want to, they don't want to run against me. In 2016, they lost, and in 2020, I did much better. The polls go down every day. The radical left Democrats are supporting Nikki Haley because they know she's much easier to beat than Trump. And you know what? If she weren't, they wouldn't be doing it. She runs around with one poll from three months ago. It's three months old. In fact, the paper is frayed on the outside from her holding it up so much. You had to go. And it said she's 17 points up on Biden, but I'm the one that's up on Biden. Uh, that is true, but she is up by, I think, the last poll about seven points. One time she was up by about 17. Uh, and yesterday uh, he seemed very relaxed in the sum, considering he's also got a civil trial during the day. Not many people can do both those things, but he's been able to balance them. It's going to be an exciting year, may- mainly because of that. But Nikki Haley uh, feels as though she can get moderate. She can get Democrats in. Let's see if the president could change his message and try to do the same thing. Or does he need to? Josh Holmes joins us now, former chief of staff for Senator uh, Mitch McConnell, president founding partner of Calvary LLC and co-host of the Ruthless Podcast, who were kind enough to have me on last week. Welcome, Josh. Welcome back. Hey, thanks, Brian. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was great to have you on Ruthless. That was a fun time. I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but after going on your show, the book went uh, book went up three places. Now it's at 12. We're on 15 to 12. When it should be fading, <laughs> it's going up. Well, that is exactly what we aim to do here at the Ruthless Variety Program. <laughs> That's great. You keep it. You had a powerful. Uh, you got a powerful platform there, Josh. First off, what do you think about uh, Nikki Haley's approach in New Hampshire to win over the president's diagnosis that she's trying to win over uh, Democrats? Some of them are going to register and not vote for Trump, obviously. Yeah. Well, look, this has been a long tradition in New Hampshire. I mean, you recall back in 2000 when John McCain beat George W. Bush after George W. Bush had a, a, a massive Iowa victory. Uh, McCain went in and got a bunch of independents and Democrats to put him over the top and posed a pretty decisive win in, in New Hampshire. So it's, it's been a tradition that's happened within the Republican Party for a long time that there's always one candidate at least that is vying for that segment of the electorate. It's a little bit bigger this cycle than is typical of typically available and you saw some of that with, you know, Chris Christie. Governor Christie had 10, 12 percent consistent, consistently of that piece of the electorate. With him now out of the race, obviously that's open for business for Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis. And I, I think we'll have to see how it all settles out. But really, it's it's an expectations game now, Brian. It's it's about trying to meet the expectations that have been set over the previous three or four weeks in order to justify a continued candidacy after a really, really massive Donald Trump win in Iowa. St. Anselm poll has him back up for, has a former president back up 14 points. Uh, should he feel as though that shows that he, this is the first post Iowa poll. Do you think, uh, do you think that the poll, the Iowa result has helped him? Oh, no question. It's helped him. No question. Because, you know, look, there's always this air of inevitability, but there's always a question mark until people actually put their votes down. And that's what happened on Monday in, in Iowa. And you can see that all of the polling was indeed not fake. It was very real in that massive lead that he had been posting here for six, eight, nine months in Iowa, um, ultimately was followed through with the votes, the corresponding votes. And so, yeah, you look at New Hampshire. And I think the big question for Nikki Haley is, you know, she had that big jump 
into the low 30s, and it showed uh, most of the polls in the last month have showed Donald Trump kind of in the either the high 30s or, or low 40s, and it put her within single digits. And it put her within single digits with Chris Christie still in that race, taking 10, 12 percent of those moderate voters in New Hampshire. With him out, there was a reasonable expectation that she would bump back up. But I think Iowa has has rejiggered that a little bit, and it appears to me like Donald Trump is maybe back on the rise. I want you to hear a clip from Jamie Dimon because he's just so interesting. I know you talk about this, too. You know, I don't care. You know, Donald Trump's an unorthodox candidate, to say the least. You never know quite what he's going to say. And people love him or they really don't like him. And and in turn, what they made a mistake at is vilifying people that follow him and will vote for him. And Jamie Dimon picked up on that. Uh, he's one of the most successful CEO, uh, banking CEOs in the country. Here's what he said to CNBC yesterday. I wish the Democrats would think a little more carefully when they talk about MAGA, and they're basically scapegoating them, that you are like him. Now, if you look, just take a step back, be honest. He's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. He grew the economy quite well. Kind Trade, of, kind of ta- virus. Tax reform worked. Mm-hmm. He was right about some of China. But he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. And that's why they're voting for him. This negative talk about MAGA is going to hurt Biden's election campaign. Your feeling on that. Mark Thiessen says, no, MAGA did work for Democrats. Jamie Dimon went and traveled the country, kind of an exercise to get to know people outside New York. And he said that's what he picked up on, knowing that he also met with Nikki Haley and is probably going to endorse Nikki Haley. What are your thoughts, Josh? Yeah, I mean, look, you don't get to be Jamie, Jamie Dimon without being pretty perceptive. I mean, an extraordinarily successful human being, and I think he can pick up what an awful lot of people are laying down. There is a mistake that Democrats have made for, I would, you know, I would say this goes well into the back into the Obama years, where they have a tendency of, of castigating people, not candidates, or, um, you know, sort of undermining cultural values that people have and, and making fun of people. And this is a relatively new phenomenon within the Democratic Party. It, you know, traditionally, they've got a big blue collar base, but increasingly, as this is Democratic Party has resided on the coasts and in intellectual elite circles, there is a, a, a real palpable feeling that that much of the Democratic Party looks down on middle America. And I think he picks that up. Jamie Dimon is, is talking about that. Now, how that applies to Donald Trump specifically, uh, I think it applies probably to the all to the whole of conservative America. But certainly Donald Trump represents an awful lot of that. So bring us inside these negotiations. One is linked to the other, very complex. So if you want Ukraine aid, and I think Ukraine is worth the fight, uh, and Israel certainly worth the support, and Taiwan, they already paid for this stuff, let's deliver it. In order to get that, the Republicans have smartly said, I'm linking that to the border. Until you clamp down on the border, not a dime for international aid. And the president was so urgent, he took uh, a Caribbean vacation, uh, two trips to Camp David, and one trip to Philadelphia. And then he finally met yesterday with the big four. Give us a sense, Josh, uh, where Mitch McConnell stands on this, because we know Speaker Johnson is a conservative, is really hard on the border, and is getting pressure to stand strong and get to as much to HR2 as possible. Where, what about Mitch McConnell? I can't get a read on him. I hear he's very tight with Schumer. They keep writing they've never been closer. Yeah, well, I think there's a, an awful lot of uh, political gamesmanship in, in all of that. I mean, the truth is, is that they wouldn't be having the border discussion at all if it wasn't McConnell who ejected it in there uh, some months ago when the administration came to 
Congress to ask for additional assistance for Ukraine and, and Israel in addition to Taiwan. And so, you know, that was, that was sort of his move to get that front and center. And a guy like James Lankford, senator from Oklahoma, has done an absolutely terrific job at trying to ferret out what you could do in the short term on the border to actually make a tangible difference to governors that are along our southern border and just struggling like heck right now with a legitimate crisis. And so, you know, the question with immigration and border security has always been, I mean, I, look, I remember doing these debates in the early 2000s. The question has always been, do you take incremental progress when you get it, or are you sort of puritanical about it and you, you only take exactly your, your vision? And I, what's happened over the years is we really haven't made much incremental progress except for the four years during the Trump administration when they could do it by executive fiat and put in things like Title 42 and remain in Mexico. The legislative side really hadn't done a whole heck of a lot. I think they've got that opportunity and the leverage to get something done right now because of how much the administration wants the, uh, the assistance to our allies overseas. Here's what Kamala Harris said about that. And I know as soon as if you want people to pay attention, always start a sentence with, here's what Kamala Harris thinks. Uh, (laughs) Cut 19. We're in an election year Uh and the folks who want to return Donald Trump to the White House would prefer to talk about a broken immigration system instead of focusing on the solutions that are at hand and engaging in bipartisan work. You feel better? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> she always has a way of really smoothing things out for everybody to come to. Right. Blame Republicans she, for not negotiating. They've been begging for him to do anything at the border every day. <laughs> Literally. Well, remember, she was the border czar. Right? Yes. This is the lady who's going to take care of all of this for us. I can't believe that. It's gotten done. You um, mean that one visit to the border that lasted 45 minutes didn't work? <laughs> I don't even think it was at the border. I think she went to like some town 45 minutes away. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine that? Just uh, you get an assignment from your boss. Go, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) No, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. Anything else? No. Okay, fine. I'll leave now. (laughs) That is unfortunately what has happened with this administration. And and they have been completely derelict from the very beginning on this. In fact, I mean, look, it's worse than derelict. It's negligent because they came into office and removed a whole bunch of things that were actually working. And that, in addition to putting in place a whole bunch of things that really underserved people trying to keep the border secure in the first place, has has created a crisis, a legitimate crisis in this country. And I think if you can do something about it, uh, you got to try, because the politics in and of itself are fairly well locked, Brian. Like, there isn't a voter anywhere in the country who doesn't know there's a massive distinction between Donald Trump's view yes. of what needs to happen on border security and where Democrats and so I, I you know I hear some Republicans are like, no, you know, like if you can't get everything, you've got to you've got to hold tight because we need the issue for the politics. It's like, brother, look at the, the politics are locked on this. I mean there is a massive difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden on how you handle the border. Don't worry about the politics. That'll take care of itself. Troy Nails is somebody said, I'm not giving the president an out on this. He got us into this mess. I want him to suffer the box at the ballot box. I understand the school of thought, but I just don't. Uh, my objective is for the country, and and like I, I like what you just said, Josh. People don't need yeah. an explanation who deserves credit for who broke it and who's trying to fix it and the massive leverage needed if, in fact, they get something substantial. But I was also at that Heritage Foundation meeting the other day. I was speaking about Teddy and Booker T, and, and I was listening to them, and, and they just don't want to budge HR2 or nothing. 
and for the con- extreme conservative, uh, the, for those people who are dug in on the right, they said, this is the time to get everything we want. You're in Washington. You know what it's like. Your thought about that. Well, I mean, the problem is, look, I, I understand and I sympathize with the point of view. I mean, good Lord, I would love to have H.R. 2 done. The problem is I look back at some of the debates that we were dealing with this issue in like 2007 and like what the border security measures looked like and what what the issues that we were debating. And at that point, we had Democrats who were on board for the wall. And that same argument won the day that you shouldn't do anything unless you can get everything you want. And then you fast forward 25 years, and it, it, I mean, it's a hell of a missed opportunity. I would love if you could start a debate with Democrats where we were already with them in 2007. We, we sure as hell wouldn't be in this position that we're in now in terms of the border. But you just you got to make incremental progress at some point. If you get the opportunity, if there is a President Trump and Republican majorities, you can absolutely get everything that you want. But we don't have that right now, and that doesn't help right. people like Governor Abbott on the border who are – suffering and their state is suffering with trying to figure out how to mitigate this mess. So uh, Josh, uh, I'm talking with Josh Holmes now, last question. You work for Mitch McConnell. I know you guys are friends and mutual respect, obviously. Uh, do you believe that if Trump does win, Mitch McConnell uh, cannot function with him? No, I think they've figured out how to function just fine, Brian. There's you know, <laughs> The funny thing happens in Washington is the politics, everything changes all the time. And I think there's a whole bunch of people that saw coming in in 2017 that the two of them wouldn't be able to work together. You know, it's a pretty successful run, all things considered. Change the Supreme Court, massive tax reform, um, you know, a really good economy. And, and I think they work together just fine. I don't know how that's ultimately going to resolve itself. I mean, look, I, I thank God it's not my day job any longer, Brian. <laughs> right. Somebody else's problem. But uh, but my sense is that Mitch McConnell is, is primarily focused on the business of getting the people's business done. And he doesn't really care all that much about personalities in the process. Except for you. I'm sure he likes you, Josh. Um, <laughs> I think. Thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, so, Josh, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. And, again, thanks for the great interview. You got it, brother. You're welcome to come back anytime. I really appreciate it. All right. I'll be in tomorrow. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, that is Josh Holmes. Listen, one 408 7669 I didn't leave a lot of time, but enough time for a couple of calls. Also, uh, where do you stand on this? Tackle football banned until you're 12. I was against it. And then I just got texted from Daryl Johnson, three Super Bowls, uh, fullback for the uh, fullback for the Cowboys. And I watched Gronkowski yesterday. He's for it. Where do you stand? Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think it's a fair proposal, and I'm for it. Uh, I love the game of football, and I love that these kids want to play the game of football. But to play the game of football at such a young age, I think, is a little dangerous. What I would propose and what I think should be, you know, marketed out there more is flag football. These kids should be playing flag football. You can still, you know, garner the attention of the game of football. You can still also learn the game of football. You can still also develop your skills of the game of football through flag football. And flag football is fun to play. I loved playing flag when I was growing up. And the half flag football for kids under 12, I think, is an excellent idea 
And I think they shouldn't be playing tackle football or the real game of football until about seventh grade once their body and minds have developed more. So interesting. So I was shocked that Gronk said that because he's such a physical player. And I do know that he was concerned about his own health. That's one of the reasons he wanted to get out at a great age. He made a ton of money, do broadcasting opportunities. He's going to the Hall of Fame on Super Bowls. And not only does Daryl Johnson just text me, and he said Gronk's stance on tackle football is straight from Tom Landry. Because I think Tom even wanted to wait till 13. By the way, if you don't know, one of the greatest coaches of all time, Cowboys. Uh, taking into account the early maturing boys that can hurt slower developing boys. It's good for the kids to learn how to move without the added weight of pads. Uh, and I asked him, so when did you start? He said eight. <laughs> so he said, uh, um, he says right now they're excited about developing flag. The one great thing. That happened. Now, I've talked to other youth coaches. They take great pride in teaching kids to tackle the right way. Great sportsmanship. The banging around. There's a way to do it. They're wearing a lot of equipment. But I think it's worthy of a debate. But don't ban football. That's the worst thing you could do is ban the sport. There's risks with everything. The other thing is, Allison, the smartest thing ever, and I can't believe it took so long, is flag football for girls. And it's in high school now. And the biggest regret uh, Katie and Kirsten have Katie, because I, I cannot believe they're having it after I done it. She, I didn't even know it. She said, I would have loved to have played football. And then when they're done, they watch because they now understand the game. It's the best way to grow fans. And I'm sure they're going to have scholarships soon. And I'm sure there's going to be NCAA flag football for women. That would be great. I mean, it, it makes sense. You're right. You understand the game. And it is fun. So why not? But I do agree, too. Like, why not wait till the kids are a little older to tackle? Because I know a lot of, like, moms, right, I have a six-year-old. You don't want them tackling even at eight. Like, I know some, like, big football towns do, but it's like that's why you sort of push other sports because if they I, I, are smaller, you don't want them getting crushed. But I will say, I'm not in for getting hurt, yes. but the ruggedness of feeling, getting hit, being knocked around, it definitely, the kids need it. Then the control, the anger, and understand. Do you think they'd understand the game more and the strategy more Could by be. not tackling? But how about give people the option? Hey, you want to do tackle football? You can do it. You want to do flag football? You can do it. Right? There are enough kids in sports now to do that, though. Right. <laughs> uh, you always have an answer. Brian Kill me, Joe. See ya. Keep it here. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone, from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. So glad you're with us. Exciting time. So much going on. Uh, finally, instead of speculating, getting experts in, we can actually live it and just get up in the morning. And the, this is the thing. Everything's in motion. Uh, this hour, I'm going to be joined by Kennedy. Uh, she's known as Kennedy. And Stephen uh, Rogelberg. Uh, Stephen's an interesting guy. I think you really like him because he brings up topics I think you care about. He's the author of a new book called Glad We Met, The Art and Science of One-on-One Meetings. So speaking of that, um, I'm tempted to say hello to you now, but I will probably lose the big three if I do. What should I do, Kennedy? You're a professional. Say hello to me, and then let's try and figure out the big three with a few interruptions along the way. Would you promise to interject a line with my big three? I would love to. All right, let's get started. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The U.S. military says it destroyed 14 missile positions in Yemen overnight, calling them an imminent threat that could have been fired at 
any time. Belonging to the Iran-backed Houthis, for months the armed militants have been attacking merchant ships. Yesterday, the U.S. designated them a terrorist group. No joke. They were, Mr. President, but you decided to take them off that list. Yes, the rebel rockets are just basically shutting down the Red Sea. Has anyone come up with a game plan in the Middle East? One thing I know for sure, the current one ain't working. They don't have a game plan. And I believe it's pronounced Houthi. Nope. Houthi. I believe it's Houthi. More on that later. Number two. There was an ongoing emergency situation that Border Patrol was blocked from accessing. The White House statement says that Texas officials blocked U.S. Border Patrol from attempting to provide emergency assistance to... There were other there were other migrants in the water. Then why wasn't that... Uh, stop lying. Again, the Biden administration lying about a drowning death in the Rio Grande. Anxious to pin it on Texas authorities. The facts tell a different story. When will the president feel the urgency to tell the American people uh, that they have a right to know the truth and that the border should indeed be sealed? Stop throwing law enforcement under the bus. It's a it's a shameful pattern by this administration. Number one. I wish the Democrats would think a little more carefully when they talk about MAGA and they're basically scapegoating them, that you are like him. Now if you look, just take a step back, be honest. He's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. He grew the economy quite well, but he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. Five days into the GOP's first primary, and there's a chance it will be Nikki Haley's last in this brand new poll has her back to do trailing double digits. We look at the race, the media's reaction, and some logic from Jamie Dimon, who's not going to be supporting Trump. I think he's going to be leaning toward Nikki Haley, Kennedy. But I thought his points was so, because it came from him, just it just really was a warning to other people who want to diminish those who care about the things Trump cares about. Well, you are really dumb if you only tie the aspects of someone's personality to them and let that be the the overarching factor and ignore their policies. Because on the flip side, when you fall in love with someone's personality and you ignore their, their horrible policies, that's actually worse for the country. It does more harm right. to give someone a pass because they seem like a nice person when their bad policies are hurting people. I'm going to play this out the way you were playing it out. Case in point. Personality, Gavin Newsom seems charming. Very charming. Right? A very good on his feet. Big smile. Mm. Great teeth. Great hair. Wonderful hair. And he chooses to gel it. But his policies, absolutely terrible. They're they're thoughtless. And the ramifications are destroying one of the great states in the, in the, on the planet. Forget Amen. alone in America. So that's another person. Just the opposite. Oh, I don't like the way he talks. I don't like this. I don't like the nicknames. But what did he do? Not what he, what he wants to do. What did he do? And when you say that he's a horrible person, I'll never vote for him, the country's going to, you're insulting 74 million people. Probably 60 million have already said, I'm going to vote for him. And other people say, I regret not voting for him. But when you diminish him, instead of just saying, I'm not going to vote for him, when you just say ridicule him, that's when you alienate and divide. And he traveled the country as a little experiment with the, just to meet people, get out of the Wall Street bubble. And he said, that's what he was getting back. I miss the old policies. And it's interesting. I was talking to Alexis McAdams the other day, and she's been on the campaign trail. And I asked her, you know, not based on gut feeling, but based on the conversations and the level of passion that she's seen in places like Iowa and New Hampshire, how do you think the race is going to go? And she said, I've not seen anything like the passion that Trump supporters have for him. And they will they will show up for him wherever he is, whether it's at a rally or the polling place 
because they're more frustrated now than they were in 2016 when they decided to give him a try in a very interesting political experiment. So I just think the the thing that really uh, made it a more of an issue for Trump or Republicans, Democrats, was when Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis started sending illegal immigrants around the country on with their permission. And all of a sudden, all these people in the sanctuary city, sanctimonious stance on immigration, all of the for Mayor Adams greeting them off the bus. And then all of a sudden, I got 67,000 people. I have nowhere to put uh, nowhere to put. And now I need an extra $2.4 billion this upcoming year from the state, let alone what the city needs, in order to to meet their needs. What about our needs? Well, what about – and and this is the thing that I constantly come back to that I find to be really frustrating. You know, it's like people, for whatever reason, still trust the government. There's no people who trusted the government more than combat veterans who – you know, the ones who were fortunate enough to come back with – PTSD and, you know, horrific injuries, and they trusted the government was going to take care of them, and they're the ones, many of them, who were left on the street while we are closing schools to children but opening them to people who don't even meet the asylum requirements, who may be very well-intentioned, hardworking people, but city resources are finite, and they're going to them and not for people who not only trusted the government but fought for freedom. Yeah, I, I have a really, really hard time with that, and no one appropriately acknowledges that. So I put this one story first, knowing you were coming in today, because this is so up your alley. Uh, Jim Jordan has discovered, probably other people, that the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, uh, in ever since January 6th, according to documents, so it's not anybody's opinion, were weaponization, talk about weaponization of the government, they were actually going to Zelle, going to Bank of America and other institutions, asking them to look for keywords like Trump or MAGA or anything to do with violent extremism or lone actor homegrown. By the way, lone actors don't usually call themselves lone actors. Yeah, oddly so, enough. Yeah, oddly enough. And just went to Bank of America, yeah, I need to see all those records. And they started doing investigations on Americans looking for those key words and then looking at shopping listings for uh, Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, Dick Sporting Goods, uh, looking to find out who's purchasing guns, uh, any recreational uh, supplies as it relates to plane tickets on those days. Uh, do you believe that – I guess you would believe this is happening, but do you believe how, um, I guess, cavalier yeah, it's, this it's, division it's, is by doing that for the American people? This is not al-Qaeda. It's reckless. It is blatant. It It's illegal. There's no probable cause. There's certainly no due process, but they're using the investigatory back channels to – you know, they're, they're in search of – criminals who haven't committed a crime and it's not the way our laws and our justice system are set up and they right. were set up for a reason uh, so they're trying to that's not a preponderance us. of evidence if you're just looking for keywords based on a caricature created by elitist washington dc snobs yeah i have jim jordan i don't know if you can find it josh jim jordan commented on this i know he commented on hunter too but here's the scary thing. The president, President Trump was president at this time when this started. So if anybody thinks, well, when a new president gets in there, things will straight out. No, they're doing this on their own. Mm-hmm. So the FBI working against him to, to try to destroy his company, flip Mar- uh, Michael Cohen, which he did, started this whole ripple effect of these civil trials. Uh, the laptop wasn't real. You just have to step back once in a while and say, 
he wasn't just the candidate. He was the president, and the FBI was operating on its own against the executive branch. Yes, and so you didn't have to wait for Joe Biden to get the keys. No, those pillars of the establishment have become so powerful and so unchecked. Their, and, and their power and their concentration of power reminds me of the cartels. Like there's almost nothing you can do about the Mexican drug cartels now because they've become more powerful and more effective than the government. Right. And it's interesting because the parts of the government that we see, it's like an iceberg. We just see the the very tip when, and people pass it off and rationalize it. Like, they can't be that powerful. But you look at the elements that are working underneath it to undermine a sitting president. It's crazy. And, and all of the tools they're using, whether it's the media or the opposition party or rogue operatives in law enforcement. It's really scary what can be done so easily in this country. Right. I mean, the whole Russia thing should get everybody worried. Uh, everybody, even in retrospect. Read them all the report. I reread it the other day. I took notes on it the first time, went back and reread it again. It is scary. Cut 15. We've exposed the censorship where you had big government, big tech, big media, big academia working to censor Americans. Now we have financial surveillance where it's big government working with big banks, big corporations to surveil, to spy on Americans. And so it was big banks looking and searching private transactions using key terms at the suggestion of the federal government to to find out what, what you're buying, what you're spending your money on. Scary stuff. All it looks like without any warrant, without any legal process, they undertook this as a way to identify domestic violent extremists. So uh, that's all off January 6th. So the one thing that's going to happen, it's not going to be Joe Biden saying, these are my policies on the border. What do you think? Here's my policies on the Middle East. What do you think? This is what I'm going to do about China and my trade and the trade deals. He doesn't have any. Uh, This is what I'm doing. What do you think? It's going to be January 6th every day. Donald Trump will get in office and refuse to leave. He's going to get rid of democracy. And he is it's going to be a scary America. Our country is over and that's what he's going to run on. Yeah. Do you realize how, if you think we're tense now as a nation, can you imagine what we're going to be like in November? No, I, I think, I, I still don't believe that both those men are going to be nominees against each other. I just, I don't see it happening. You saw the Cindy Adams column in the New York Post today? No. She has a quote from the hedge fund guys saying that Michelle Obama came up to, was meeting with them a short time ago and basically said, I'm going to run. I like your support. Yeah. So, I, I wrote about this in the Daily Mail a couple months ago that Michelle Obama is the perfect candidate for Democrats to run because she ends the political careers of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris and Gavin Newsom in one fell swoop, which, you know, there's there's a great deal of utility there. She's also rich. Rich people like to keep their money regardless of what they spout. Would I vote for? I would not vote for. I think there are there are a lot of problems with her candidacy. Is she the absolute worst person that Democrats could run? No. Is uh, she beatable? Of course, everyone's beatable. Right, because she's never been tested. She's an idea. All right, she's an idea because you don't know if she agrees with the with her husband on this. You don't know if, if she's going to be a third term for Obama, like Hillary was supposed to be, like Bill. But I we think don't she's know. more eloquent than Hillary Clinton. I think she's more likable than Hillary Clinton. I think she's she's got a much more compelling personal story. You know, I I would trust her not to fiddle with my breaks. Good point. Thank I you. think that that would might be her slogan. Yeah, I'm Michelle Obama. I won't fiddle. You with can your trust breaks. me. I will not fiddle with your breaks. <laughs> and a lot of people are saying that. Like you know, she's good, 
but will she, will she put me on a suicide brain? mission and yeah. send me off a bridge? Yeah, will will I shoot myself in the back? Right. <laughs> As I'm running away. Probably not with Michelle Obama. So one thing I like, I have, do have a story. So uh, my dad was great at rebuilding cars to drive them that day. They'd be in pieces. You just put them together, and that would be the car. So we go to visit my his parents, my grandparents in Queens, LAE. You familiar with it? Yes, the Long Island Express. We used to have the gas tanks there. That's how we knew the exit to get off. Or is it Expressway? Uh, Expressway. Yeah. Long Island Express, little Federal Express. Um, so we're driving, lose the brakes. Oh no! We start speeding up. Oh. My mom just cranks down the window, waves off the traffic as if they'd done this before. And we have three kids in the back. By the way, the seatbelts, they got in the way. No one wore seatbelts back then. No. So it's going to be a very they interesting were lap exit. Belts. Right. Like you, they actually did more harm than good to your internal yeah, organs. Yeah. And yeah, and later on, it would be adopted by every airline. Sort of that great technology. <laughs> yeah. Right. Basically, they took the 1967 Mustang and a lot of that safety technology. And then my dad goes to grab the emergency brake. It comes off in his hand. So then he realizes he's got to grab the whole thing. This is like a scene out of airplane. Yeah, it's crazy. And then he goes off at like 50, 60 miles an hour, goes around this corner, and then pulls the brakes. And we foam. He parked it perfectly, and my grandparents came and picked us up. I don't remember how we got home. I don't know that your dad was great at rebuilding cars. That's all I'm saying. That's the only statement I might take a little bit of issue with. Right. So you might not get in the car if next time he wants to take a family trip. Right. Was Plus Hillary you Clinton your neighbor? Was she like, oh, I'll come help you? <laughs> That's oh, true. Oh, yeah, you're doing, you're putting some brakes in? I'm really good at this. Right. Well, it's just I just know what it was like to lose your brakes. I'm thinking to myself, we're going way too fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is not just not supporting competition. This is literally actively trying to suppress it. I'll give you three examples. The state of North Carolina and the state of Florida. The Democratic Party in each state decided there would only be one candidate on the ballot, and therefore we will not have a presidential primary. Essentially disenfranchising. On on what grounds? None. In fact, I'll give you another example. North Carolina 2020, 15 Democrats on the ballot. The only qualifier to be on the North Carolina ballot in their law is to be recognized in the national media as a candidate for president. And Marianne Williamson was on the ballot in 2020, along with 14 other Democrats. This year, the North Carolina Democratic Party only offered the name of Joe Biden to be on the ballot to the secretary of state. That was Dean Phillips. And he's just he's frustrated. RFK Jr. was really frustrated. Kennedy's here and Kennedy will add this. No labels has filed a formal complaint with the DOJ. They had a press conference today that says various groups and people have been undermining the group's efforts to secure ballot access. That's the way democracy is supposed to work. Well, and I also thought our vice president was in charge of voter disenfranchisement. <laughs> like I, yeah. I thought that this this was one of her main tasks. But do you realize when we I mean, I know you remember this. Bernie Sanders was undermined by. Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who who came out explicitly, was like, yeah, no, that's why we have superdelegates. So people like Bernie Sanders can't take control of the party. And Donna Brazile came out and said, you have a big debate. Here are the answers. Here are the Mm -hmm. questions. And then we know in 2020, Joe Biden was was laughable in Iowa, was invisible in New Hampshire. And when it looked like Bernie Sanders was going to emerge and Elizabeth Warren would get nowhere, what happened? They dragged him up by his hair plugs. Jim Clyburn was like, come to South Carolina. Come to the Palmetto State. 
and we need we'll to do start Joe the civil war again right here. Right. So this is bizarre. Yeah. Whatever you want to say about democracy in the balance, you're not seeing democracy with the Democratic Party. But it, t- it is a party. You can make your own decisions. But they look at no labels as the death of the party because they believe if Joe Manchin gets in and RFK had been there, they said most of those voters uh, would have left Joe Biden because he's so vulnerable. Yes. When you when you inject RFK Jr. into the polling, especially with younger voters, he he takes votes away from Trump and Biden. He takes more away from Biden. It's very interesting because the Trump lead grows over Biden in those critical swing states. And you've seen the polling on those. It's Trump's lead grows when RFK is in the mix. It's interesting. But Joe Manchin would be a legitimate alternative to Joe Biden. But yet he's not liked by Republicans or Democrats. Democrats go he's a sellout or else we'd have those two extra states. Our lovely custodian, Alex. <clears throat> who, you know, takes care of our floors would be a better candidate than Joe Biden. And no, he, he doesn't want any part in American politics. You tried to get him to run. I tried to get him. Right. No labels. He said no schmables. <laughs> right. I did not know he rhymes like that. Yeah, yeah. It's very gut <laughs> Hey, Kenny, it was great seeing you again. Thank you, Brian. I love the hat. I don't have anything like that, and it's my problem, but I'm going to fix it. Uh, back in a moment. Woo! If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. His campaign created a little jingle reminding everyone that they liked Ike. Since then, likability has been sort of omnipresent and also elusive. All candidates apparently need to have it, but some of them apparently don't. Barack Obama was considered likable in 2008, which led to this. He's very likable. I, I, I agree with that. I don't think I'm that bad. Um, Uh, You're likable enough. Thank you. And today there is one person in particular whose ability to be likable enough is really sort of in question. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. According to the New York Times, DeSantis and his team had internal conversations acknowledging the need for him to engage in the basics of political courtship, small talk, handshaking, eye contact. Uh, There you go. Uh, That is some of the nuances that might make or break a candidacy and also in your life, right? One-on-one meetings, how do you make the most of it? When you're conducting meetings, how do you get the most of your staff? Or how do you produce most for the person you work for? Uh, Stephen Rogelberg is a Ph.D. and Chancellor's, uh, uh, Chancellor's Professor at UNC Charlotte, author of the new book, Glad We Met, The Art and Science of One on One Meetings. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here. So, Stephen, let's start from the political end. You heard for the longest time about Governor DeSantis. Man, he's a man of action. He gets things done. Two substantial election wins. One came out of nowhere to win the first time, and then he wins uh, overwhelmingly the second time. When he starts running for president, people say he's having trouble connecting. When, When someone says that, what do you think of right away? Yeah, the lack of connection just refers to this idea of, um, you know, whether you're truly, when you're meeting someone for the first time, you know, do they seem to actually be interested in you, right? Are they trying to understand who you are and your needs? And then trying to use that information as momentum for them to talk about some of the things that, you know, might be interesting and important to you. But ultimately, it's about connection. It's about this belief that this person is truly listening and truly interested. And what is your advice? First off, uh, Bill Clinton was a master at it. Barack Obama was strong at it. They say George W. Bush was great at it. Al Gore, not much of a connector. So what what do you need to do to connect to someone? Look in their eyes and be genuine? 
Yeah. I, you know, first of all, I think it starts by trying to remember people's names. We're often really bad at that. You know, when we meet someone for the first time and we hear their name, we typically forget it. And we forget it because we're thinking about what we're going to say next. We forget it because we don't truly care. So when we meet people, we want to take extra effort to remember their names. We then want to connect by asking questions, right? Trying to understand who this person is, find common interests, but also look for dissimilar interests and explore it and learn about it. You know, so those are kind of the foundations. And then just being pleasant, you know, nice, eye contact, smiling, bring the person in, help the person feel safe. Right now, some of the stuff was was innate in all of us. You learn from your parents. You go to meet people. You have to go to meet adults when you're a little kid. How you have to look them in the eye and have a firm handshake. But now, in the advent of the phones, you got to go back to the basics in many cases. Yeah, you know, good interpersonal skills are not a given. I mean, people need to get some feedback. Um, they need to take an interest in leveling up their skills. I mean, that's actually one of the things I think is intriguing about this this new book is, you know, it's taking a common activity that people think they're really good at, but they're not, and trying to cast, put a mirror in front of their face so they can see what's going on and teach them some new techniques. Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers are pretty staggering that you outline in your book, how many people will have a one-on-one meetings on a regular basis, uh, and it's about time that you learn to to master them. So besides caring and listening, you're talking about you're estimated that 200 to 500 million one-on-one meetings are held each day around the world. Uh, some are transformative, and some can destroy you because people have a negative impression of you. So what's the things you want people to take away from now? Well, let's back up and – Think about what is a good one-on-one meeting. So when I talk about a one-on-one, I'm really getting into this connection between the manager and their team member, right? This is a meeting that's facilitated and orchestrated by a manager, but it's not for the. It's for the direct report. It's for the direct report to be able to share what's on their mind, their concerns, their needs, and for the manager to listen and respond and to ask good questions. So it's a really special activity that can occur at work that allows people to feel seen. And that's what we all want, right? When you think about the various contexts that we operate in, work, home, or whatever, we want to be seen. So an excellent one-on-one is about truly seeing your direct report. And by doing so, you're able to offer the support needed, the guidance needed, the counsel needed to help this person truly thrive. What about it from the leadership level when you have to conduct a meeting that's not one-on-one where you'll have one-on-one eventually with these people, but you got to conduct, get their attention in a group setting. So in general, just how do you run excellent meetings? Yep. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a fabulous and huge question. I have another book I wrote about that topic, by the way, called the surprising science of meetings, you know, basically, you know, creating an great meeting um, starts with having a compelling purpose to meet, right? So often we just meet out of habit and that's not why we should meet. You know, having a good meeting means that we invited the right people, um, that we're actively facilitating conversation. As a leader, if we're doing the vast majority of the talking, we're failing. Also, 
having a good meeting starts with an agenda. But we need to start thinking about agendas differently. Instead of just framing your agenda as a set of topics to be discussed, I want to challenge leaders to start framing their agenda as a set of questions to be answered. And by framing your agenda as a set of questions to be answered, now you have to truly think about the meeting and what you're trying to achieve, right? By framing your agenda items as questions, now you have a better sense of who really has to be there, the relevance to the questions. By framing your agenda items as questions, you know if the meeting has been successful because the questions have been answered. And if you just can't think of any questions, it likely means you don't need a meeting. So who give you who's an example that you hold up as somebody who gets it, uh, how to meet someone one on one and 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 impress them? That is the sad thing that there I there isn't a good example. This is a horrible blind spot. Um, you know, in our research, we generally find that if you survey people coming out of a one on one meeting, the person that thinks it went really well is the person who the meeting was not for. The manager thinks it went much better than the direct. And clearly that's a problem. It just appears that there's this blind spot. And while I can certainly find individuals who um, you know, execute better, you know, in terms of high profile CEOs, I have not found, I have not found a good example. So interesting. Uh, as terms of a politician, do you think Bill Clinton was probably the best of modern day politicians? You know, it's hard for me to, you know, to answer because, you know, I'm only observing from afar. Like right. I didn't have that personal conversation. Certainly from what I've heard, so many politicians are really good at this. You know, they wouldn't have elevated to the state that they're at to like, I don't think DeSantis is bad at it. It's just, it's been supercharged, right? Everything's on steroids. I think to reach this level of political success, all of these folks have have good abilities. Um, it's just being under the microscope all the time and having every single interaction analyzed mm. um, and everything is you know fully available online. You know, the narrative is hard to maintain. What do you try to do? So right now, if you walked in and you have to do an interview on a podcast, you want to connect with that host. Uh, as you do your book tour. And by the way, we're talking to Stephen Rogerberg. He's a Ph.D. Uh, he's a UNC profe- uh, uh, pr- professor at UNC uh, and author of the new book, Glad We Met, The Art and Science of One-on-One Meetings. What do you try to do? Like, what works for Stephen? What works for me is, first, caring. You know, genuinely caring. We have so many interactions with people where we don't really care, right? We just see them as um, tools to help us get our work done. And one-on-one meetings, you have to have a different perspective. You really have to believe that by having this one-on-one with your directs, that you're doing something good, that you're helping this person thrive. And by doing so, you're gonna thrive as well. So. What I, so the first thing I try to do is have the right mindset, right? There's so many times we have so many things on our plate that we just don't focus when we're meeting with someone, be it someone who works for us or someone that's our child. Right. So, so that focus is important. Then, you know, that using your nonverbals to communicate interest. Um, it might be the case that I need to be appropriately vulnerable 
which then allows the conversation to be more real and vulnerable. Um, I want to be polite and kind. I want to demonstrate empathy. I want that person to know that I'm listening. You know, I want to be dialed in and truly hearing the questions as opposed to just replacing it with what I want to talk about. So it's just about presence, about mindset. It's about the basics of just good human interaction and trying to connect with another person. What was it like doing your pursuing your PhD in this? Like, what did you even use for resources? <laughs> so my PhD is in organizational psychology, and so I'm drawn to study vexing problems at work and try to bring science to bear to make it better. And you know, we when we conduct research. You know, we use many different methodologies. We can conduct experiments um, where people are exposed to certain types of conditions. We can have people keep a diary, and every time they have a meeting, they provide more input, and they do this over a long period of time. We can survey people both at the beginning of their days and after their days to try to understand what's driving their experiences. Mm -hmm. We can actually video one-on-ones and meetings and code the types of behaviors that we see to see if we can glean insights. So there's a whole host of tools that can be applied to understand these fascinating and complex human behaviors at work. All right. So if you want to change your interaction, put your, uh, and put your own career on, uh, on jet fuel, pick up uh, Stephen Rogelberg's new book. It is called Glad We Met, The Art and Science of One-on-One Meetings. Thanks, Stephen. Oh, you're welcome. And Brian, an added bonus, um, I'm so passionate around trying to get this material out that I'm donating all my proceeds to the American Cancer Society to support my fabulous sister-in-law, Kathy Lupensky, and her battle against cancer. Nice. Awesome. Uh, Steve, thanks so much. Best of luck. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to have a chance to unwind what happened in 24, the new polls that just came out that makes Donald Trump feel more confident, how Nikki Haley's dealing with the personal tribulations while still trying to campaign in New Hampshire, and why Ron DeSantis thinks he's going to be the one left in a one-on-one fight with the former president. A lot of intrigue. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. DeSantis is moving most of his campaign staff to your home state of South Carolina. What do you make of that strategy and the fact that he's going to your home state? He's invisible in New Hampshire and South Carolina, so it doesn't matter to me. His campaign says that if you lose in South Carolina, this is going to be the end of your campaign, which is why he's going there. What do you have to say to that? He's closer to zero than he is to me in either of these states. So it's more about his survival. We're strong. It's a two-person race here in New Hampshire. It's a two-person race in South Carolina. So we're focused on Trump. That's all we're focused on. Um, DeSantis, I forgot about him the second he left New Hampshire. Uh, that is Nikki Haley yesterday. She's got a lot of energy making her way through New Hampshire. She knows it's make or break. This is the state that she needs to win her. If she gets within two or three points, I think that's a much enough momentum to maybe pick up the pick up the pace a little in South Carolina. I have not seen many great South Carolina recent South Carolina polls that people are focused on. We're about to get them, no doubt about it. And then things change after this victory or defeat. But if if Trump holds on to this 14-point lead, assuming he has it, the St. Anselm poll, Governor Sununu told me was pretty good when it was uh, when it showed Nikki Haley closing in. Now it showed went from a seven-point to a 14-point. 
So I think people are looking at Iowa, maybe look at the former president as inevitable, or they like his semi-new tone, which, look, um, it's it's more positive. It's more a positive tone. Uh, what you're not getting on the other side is anything. People want to be scared, want you scared to vote that Trump will actually win. We heard about Michelle Obama, and now we hear the almost the same verbiage from the vice president. Here it is, Kamala Harris yesterday on a show you don't watch, Cut 3. There's no doubt that one of the first issues that anyone will think of is the issue they think of when they're at their kitchen table trying to pay their bills, which is how is the economy treating them. So there's no question whatsoever that that is an important issue, which we have been in the process of addressing, and we still need to do more. Right. Uh, And she goes on to tell you what will happen if Donald Trump wins. It's not we will lose power and uh, I guess taxes will go down. I don't know. Cut for now. Are are you scared? First of all, what could happen if Trump ever became, God forbid, president again? And what are you going to do to stop the crazies? I am scared as heck. (laughs) Yeah, which is why I'm traveling our country. You know, there's an old saying that there are only two ways to run for office, either without an opponent or scared. So on all of those points, yes, we should all be scared. Why should you be scared that you would lose? I, I, would, I really want, I feel like we have unfinished business. I would like to be able to finish that. I know President Trump would undo a lot of things that she feels this, uh, they have great pride in. You might not feel that way. I might not feel that way. But that's a traditional way to answer it. Instead, just watch for it. And I don't care if you're an anti-Trump or listening to me right now. This should not be the reason you don't vote for him. You should not be scared if he wins, except for the reaction of people like the next James Comey, like what Joe Biden might leave as a landmines in the White House on the way out. They, Michelle Obama, I am scared for the country. Barack Obama, I don't think Joe Biden is taking the uh, Donald Trump's popularity and possibility of winning serious enough. Scared. You should be compete. I don't want to lose. That should be your answer. But if you leave a country thinking that if I lose, the country goes to hell, I don't think you're really in the best interest. Remember, remember uh, Senator John McCain loses to Barack Obama when it becomes clear, immediately makes a speech, talks about how this historic moment took place, mentions Booker T. Washington uh, having his dinner and causing controversy with Teddy Roosevelt. Right away, let's bring the country together. You remember that. George W. Bush put the call in. I haven't seen that here. I've seen the other way. And the thing that's scary to me is that they're doing it already. And we are, I don't know, nine months out. I hate to say it, but here's one more from Harris. Cut seven. There's a split screen that you can throw up and see. And it's going to be the choice between what is about respecting our democracy, what is about competence versus chaos versus someone who has called those who would attack our capital and try and undo the votes of millions of Americans in a presidential race and would dare to call those people who who committed acts of violence patriots? Someone, again, who would weaponize the Department of Justice, who glorifies those people who are running countries in a way that is about themselves and not the people? This is going to be the split screen. Right. A split screen of a president circling around a stage trying to get off. A split screen of a president giving one word answers and refusing to talk to the press, walking the other way. Uh, And there's a split screen January 6th. That's one. But the other days, people kind of miss. 
And the vice president clearly trying to memorize some talking points. Brian Kilmeade. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi everyone, Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. We've got a busy hour coming your way. Uh, we're going to be joined by Tyrus, Jake Steinfeld, Lieutenant Governor uh, Dan Patrick. And also we'll take your phone calls. Remember, you can listen to the show on the app. If you have to leave your, fa- your local affiliate, the Fox News app, click on the headsets. Uh, You could also, wherever you get the podcast, you could always get it there. Uh, And also, uh, we stream on Fox Nation, so you can find all those places. Also, Sunday at about 3 o'clock Eastern time, I'm going to be on stage. You're going to see it streamed on Fox Nation. And I'll be talking about Teddy and Booker T. Tour. It's going to continue. But I'll talk about all American history. We've got to win the war in history. I give you the fast facts about it all. Have a fun, interactive thing on stage. VIP opportunities where I can meet you ahead of time at the Rialto Theater just outside Chicago in beautiful Joliet, Illinois. So I hope to see everybody there in person. If not, I'll watch it on the stream. And thanks to everybody who put Teddy and Booker T for the last two weeks back on the uh, back on the New York Times bestseller list. Pretty cool. We're up six weeks. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The U.S. military says it destroyed 14 missile positions in Yemen overnight, calling them an imminent threat that could have been fired at any time. Belonging to the Iran-backed Houthis, for months the armed militants have been attacking merchant ships. Yesterday, the U.S. designated them a terrorist group. Biden attacks again, yet the Houthi rebels' rockets continue to rain in the Red Sea. Has anyone come up with a game plan in the Middle East? One thing I know for sure, whatever they're doing now ain't working. Number two, there was an ongoing emergency situation that Border Patrol was blocked from accessing. The White House statement says that Texas officials blocked U.S. Border Patrol from attempting to provide emergency assistance. Two, there were other there were other migrants in the water. Then why wasn't that? Uh, The ridiculous Uh, Jackie Heinrich going at it with KJP. Stop lying. The Biden administration lying about the drowning death in the Rio Grande. Anxious to pin it on Texas authorities. They had nothing to do with it. Number one. I wish the Democrats would think a little more carefully when they talk about MAGA and they're basically scapegoating them, that you are like him. If you look, just take a step back, be honest. He's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. He grew the economy quite well, but he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. Yeah, there you go. Uh, That is Jamie Dimon, CEO of uh, J.P. Morgan, five days into the GOP's first primary. And there's a chance it could be Nikki Haley's last, unless you can close the gap in the polls, now back to double digits. What about Ron DeSantis and his South Carolina uh, play? I like it. Uh, I think it's fine to make a stand there. They both believe they're number two, and uh, that is key because they want to live to fight another day. And one of the main things you could say, too, about Ron DeSantis is he has no illusions about the trouble he's in. He's not in New Hampshire. He thinks he can make a stand in South Carolina. He's pretty convinced that if Nikki Haley loses big, that she'll be done because you don't want to be embarrassed in your home city. We'll talk about that uh, in a little while, but first let's bring in uh, Tyrus. There's nothing that's not in his ballpark. Uh, also, you know that his book is now out called Nuff Said, doing extremely well. He's got the special on TV. On Fox Nation, Tyrus, welcome back. Always a pleasure, man. How are you? Good, good. Um, uh, first off, last night, I know you were focused very much on the background of Dick Morris's tape. <laughs> I mean, 
What do you th- what do you think is going on there? I you know what? I like to think there's always a rational explanation for every situation. And what a man chooses to do in his home is his business. Both look like consenting adults. One spent more time in the weight room than the other one did. But uh you just try not to do that at work. The Zoom situation has just, just been careers. just killing guys, man. <laughs> like you gotta you gotta you gotta set your time different. You know, well, it's describe not work, what happened. Play. Dick Mars is on giving his He's on, he's giving he's giving some serious political advice and speculations. I mean it's a it's not like a, a joking situation. And a larger man best described as in his briefs, let's just put it that way, matching briefs, comes walking out and appears that, uh, that either that or he had a, a couple black eyes, look like he had some mascara on of some sort, um, looking at the, the – and just walk through like he was going from – Right, like, room to room. The, the part that makes it look so bad is that uh, Dick did not acknowledge him, which makes it worse. Because, you know, when you acknowledge – and I, I've had it not in that situation, but I – during the pandemic, I think uh, a lot of us had to work at home for a while, especially I lived in Louisiana, so the, the flights and stuff were down for a while. And uh, at one time I was filming Gutfeld, and my uh, wife decided I needed to open a jar of pickles right then and there because her chicken salad couldn't wait. And no respect for my work place at all. So she handed you to the jar? In the middle of the show, live – Open this, and I'm like, I'm work, and I open, but I acknowledge, I didn't not acknowledge the pickle jar, right? You know yeah, what I'm saying, yeah. which would have made it worse, right? Because I'm like, is he going to open that jar or not? You know, and then like, oh, look at Tyrus, he doesn't listen to his wife. It'd have been a whole thing, you know. So even though she was the first time in our relationship that she can actually admit fault because I have the video evidence to support it. So she did not know you were on television. I, I refuse to believe that. Just like <laughs> I refuse to believe that the gentleman didn't know. That the dick was being filmed at the time. I think he was getting tired of waiting. Maybe they had a workout session. That was my I went with. Maybe they're getting ready to pump iron in the in the in the garage. Pump something. And then he's getting ready to walk through. And he just made a statement. But okay. he himself not. They didn't acknowledge each other, which makes it look really awkward. Gotcha. So so Tyrus, a uh, couple of things going on. Are you going to be going to New Hampshire? Uh not unless is a pistol in my back you don't i have go. no desire to be in the cold and i have no desire i like they'd be like if you told me right now do you want to see the boston celtics play a local high school team in a basketball game no i don't because it'll be a slaughter i could do the whole new hampshire foss could save millions i could do it live from my house i could be over. sitting in my chair in louisiana by my fireplace and as soon as it comes on i'll be like trump for the win back to you guys and so move you think, on you think it's one you think it's a waste over. of time you no it's, it's over he's in the this dude's not in the 30s. He's not in the 40s. He's in the 50s. Like, well, if, it, if it was a horse, we would, you know what we'd do? 52-38 right yeah. now. But, yeah. you know, last week it was single digits. And they say, you know, the theory is some moderates and Democrats are going to try to create some chaos. And they're going to go vote for Nikki Haley to continue this. Even when they, they tried that in, in Iowa. And what happened? They got one precinct by, like, one point or something like that. It was, right. like, one attempt. It's... They have to accept, and I think I think I think everyone got it. I think Vivek handled it the best way. Christie right. was probably tough. Uh, Trump's toughest critic was Christie, and even he saw the writing on the wall. Um, I think Nikki Haley has a great future. I think it's just if it wasn't for the situation of what has amassed and built with Trump 
and the left and the things they've done to him and to they've done to the voters in this country, I think Nikki Haley would be in, in a great, far different position. But this is this is America correcting the wrongs of the left, the the the, the impeachment, the witch trial, all of the things that Americans right. feel like this could be me. And that's what they're missing. So they continue to pile on. They continue to do the things to hurt Trump. But they all they have done is they've built in our lifetime right. a living martyr. Because so usually you got to be dead to get this type of love. What bothers me most is the way they handled his victory speech. Yeah. Uh, cutting it off, going underneath it. I'm saying they, if he does win, are they going to cut off the State of the Union? Well, they're go- well, are they going to just that's not carry point. anything? I tell us on Guffield, but sometimes because we're a comedy show, people think we're, we're joking kidding, about certain yeah. things. So this is what not this is what's in is that they're not going to acknowledge President Trump because that's how you get Biden out of not having to debate him because they're going to say the pre- is beneath the office of the president to debate a criminal, to debate a, a, as soon as he, if he's an insurrectionist. So because they're doing – that's what they're doing with courts. With no, no finding, he was never charged with anything in January 6th. He's not in trial for something for January 6th. But in Colorado, they've already – they attempted to take him off the ballot. And then in Oregon, they, I think it was Portland, Oregon, or – they said that they're not even going to hear it. That he's off. He's off. So the fix is in in terms of we're not going to participate with him, thinking that's going to be the that's the only way because you cannot have Biden in him in a debate. We know it. Biden can't even take six questions. I actually think they. I worry about the whole country being divided. Like we're not listening to this guy. If he's at twelve sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue, yep. here's what Marco Rubio said last night. You know they went at it pretty hard. Little Marco. Yeah. Oh yeah. When it got to a, Florida, right. he backed out. He did not want to lose in his home state. Cut thirteen. What's really changed is not just the partisan tone of the coverage, but now this effort to say we're not going to carry his speech. We're not going to let you hear what he has to say. We'll interpret it and we'll put out the snippets we want you to hear. But we've made the decision to no longer carry it. You know, you put up my uh, message a moment ago from what I put up next. This is exactly how state-run media is used by authoritarian governments to delegitimize, to discredit, to basically make people believe that there is no alternative but to the regime and to their rule. And that's how that's it's it's destroying the media in this country. No, it's it's why at this point, you know, no one believes anything they see or hear anymore. Yeah, I, I would agree with all that, except he said destroy. No, it's destroyed. Media in this country is destroyed. And the argument that uh, people are just going to change the channel. They're going to, you know, they're going to watch it somewhere else. Right. That, that shows it. They're not going to. Um, they're, they're, the people who support the CNN and, you know, their their core base, they're not listening to the speech anyway. But we take the president. We yeah, took Barack yeah. Obama. We took. We also called Arizona. When no one else wanted to. So there's a difference when you're trying to do the news. The news isn't always the way you want. But here's the funny part. This is the most laid back President Trump we've ever seen. His me- his message was not he didn't make fun of anybody. He didn't attack anybody. He talked about he wanted to work with everybody. He said he wants to fix our cities. Doesn't it was not, he wanted to be bipartisan in terms of getting crime off the street. So his speech was presidential. But that doesn't matter to and them. He didn't talk about 2020. No, he didn't. And I think but they're going to. Because that's all they got. That's the game plan is to make him right. a criminal without actually having him be a criminal. So one minute they tell him he's not, he doesn't read, he doesn't know anything. And then they say, well, you're quoting Hitler. Do you really think he's looking up Hitler's speeches? No, but that you mean, could – in terms of what? when you they, can, yeah. About immigrants. So then yeah. he used the term poison the blood. Then they ask people, do you agree with President Trump when he says uh, immigrants, illegal immigrants are poison the blood of America? 74% of Republicans said yes. And basically, there is no diff. That's what people are worried about. Now, we, whatever term you use, it doesn't matter. No, it's not immigrant. The, it's illegal immigrants. And they're pretending they don't know the difference. But when you – you know this. You, you've, you've been in this game forever. And when you're interviewing someone who's 
clearly made up their mind or they're lying or they're being inappropriate. It doesn't matter what facts you hit them with. Their narrative is all that matters. And Hitler. Yeah, you know. Oh, okay. But, again, you talked – I mean, a perfect example, you look at how the, the people who protect our border are treated in this country. The horse whips. Then we had this decent report saying they didn't let – uh, they didn't let border agents rescue drowning him. They just continue to tell narrative half truths and half stories, and that's what they're going to run with. That's how they're going to be. And as an American citizen, yeah. this is when you got to you got to put your school hat on. And every headline you need to read at least three paragraphs in. Absolutely. So uh, Tyrus is going to stick around. We come back. Does he agree with with Rob Gronkowski on kids playing football, not tackle football until they're twelve? You'll be surprised by Gronkowski's uh, assessment. And I want to get Tyrus, who's also a great football player. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think it's a fair proposal, and I'm for it. Uh, I love the game of football, and I love that these kids want to play the game of football. But to play the game of football at such a young age, I think, is a little dangerous. What I would propose and what I think should be, you know, marketed out there more is flag football. These kids should be playing flag football. You can still, you know, garner... The attention of famer, Rob Gronkowski, uh, saying that he is for this California legislation that would stop kids from playing tackle football until they're 12. Tyrus, you played football your entire life. How do you feel about that? And you Um, coach kids. I I disagree with Gronk on this one. And and, uh, who doesn't love Gronk? He's probably one of the most positive dudes on the planet. But, again, I think there's bigger issues. So we're going to get rid of rugby in, in, in New Zealand and Australia next? Of course not. There's a certain there's a level there's the amount of the, the negatives that go with youth football are vastly outweighed by the positives. Could you and, get it from flag? No. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you why, because there's something about the, the teaching young men, especially to control that aggression, especially today. Or have aggression, who have aggression, who have issues, who have anger. There's something about that football field that cures that and learns to control that, especially at a young age. Now, there's certain reasons why you might, like for like my son who's a foot taller than his age group, so he would have to play in an older age group. So in that situation, no, because they would be throwing him into the fire because a 14-year-old boy is much more mature and faster than an 11-year-old. You'll keep him out. So I'd keep him out, but he does baseball, so I guess I should be afraid he's going to get hit in the head with a fastball. Or soccer too, yeah. man. Well, well, this, this is what happens when unaffected make comments, and, and, and Gronk's trying to split the diff. But here's the deal. You have more issues with a kid sitting on the couch on his tablet eating right. Ben and Jerry's ice cream than you do with a kid on the football field. You want to tackle something? Tackle child obesity. Well, that we- leads to so many other things. Tackle uh, sitting at home alone on his tablet talking to – you put a, you put yourself – if you and I right now got on one of these, any one of these chat lines right. and said we were a 13-year-old girl looking for someone to talk to, give it five minutes and see what's out there. So, so Cyrus, how about this? They say with with eight year olds and nine year olds, when you tackle, if you are a coach, you should learn to teach how, right? Yeah, it's make, stupid. Make sure all those kids have yeah, right. You can't be tackled with your head. How you wrap yeah. somebody up? 
But uh, a friend of mine has coached for 20 years, youth football. He said they do not move fast enough or hit hard enough to cause any damage. The instance of concussions at the younger age are minimal. And the problem with starting at 13 is when some have reached puberty and some haven't. That's when the mismatches and collisions Exactly. Occur. And that's why my 12-year-old doesn't play with 14 and 13-year-olds. But again, it goes back to unaffected. And that is, by the way, Mike Ragusa, yeah. who's listening to Massapequa. Here's the deal. If you go to a 8-year-old, 9-year-old football game, it is it – is, it's fantastic. Hysterically unathletic, and usually every other play scores a touchdown. Or the kids go the wrong way. They're learning. Their, but it's important. And, again, we're attacking football because you get the most attention. But why don't you attack something – like, honestly, why don't you start – getting on the diets of these kids who don't participate. Those are the ones that are lost. Those right. are the ones with all the mental, that end up with mental health problems. Not the one that have male, positive male role models around them, an extra dad. Right. If, if there is no dad at the home, a set of eyes. And when a kid's having a bad day, you can cure those problems on the football field with discipline, hard work, and accountability. And you coached under Snoop Dogg's yes. in Snoop Dogg's week, right? Yeah, and, and the reason why I was made his offensive line coach was because I had extensive knowledge in Pass protection and blocking with your hands, not your shoulders and your heads like they did years ago. And they have classes and coaches have to go to clinics and, and yeah. And there's a re that all this stuff's in place. Uh Snoop loses money on the league every year. And he makes sure the kids have everything, not old equipment, new equipment. So again, this is a a much to do about nothing. Someone who's never played the game their entire life is now making these type of comments instead of fixing real problems. The other thing is too. And The Rock talked about this. When he was younger, he was scared of everything. Yeah. And when he got older, he got it. But a lot of times, those timid kids, you could bring something out of them on the field. Now, I'm a soccer player, but I saw it with football. It would change the way they hold themselves. Right, but you could also tear your ACL in soccer. And of course, well, but you head could balls. break an ankle, yeah. Believe me, there's more yeah. head balls in soccer. I think yeah. the stats went women's. I think women's soccer is, the, is caused the most head injuries. Again, this is, with all due respect, a, a stupid attempt to try to look like you're doing something for the kids. You want to help the kids? Get IDs on social media. You want to help the kids? Let's get them off uh, being 100 pounds overweight by the time they're Stop they're the 13. algorithm from targeting them. Yeah, you know, like there's a million things to be doing. This is not one of them. Understood. Uh, guess what? When can we see you again? You on Gutfeld tonight? I'm on Gutfeld tonight, yeah. All right. And when, when can we, what can we see on Fox Nation? Uh, my special's running right now. You can just hop on there. My Tyrus Here and Now, episode one and two, is on right now, so you can check it out anytime, and you can get my book at any store. Oh, wow. Uh, enough said. Still enough out said, there. Yep. Still doing so, extremely well. well. Bestseller list. Yeah, absolutely. And, Going uh, neck and neck with uh, your little book. Yeah, well, uh, thanks to your endorsement, it went yeah. back up to number 12 last week. Yeah, we're uh, we're also combined on Amazon. You can buy us together as a set. You better. You heard, Six, Tyrus. 60, 40, though. Don't buy one without the other. <laughs> yeah, Don't 60, get them angry. 60-40 split. Oh, uh, wait a second. <laughs> The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's my privilege to bring you my good friend, Jake Steinfeld, Body by Jake Guy, chairman of the National Foundation for Governors Fitness Councils. Uh, and uh, Jake not only wants to make sure you stay on your New Year's resolutions, but Jake, what you've been doing for the last few years has been absolutely phenomenal. First off, uh, you were supposed to be the next governor. Governor Schwarzenegger well, said that you were supposed to take the mantle after. That's what, you know, he he and I, you know, I've known Arnold since I'm 19 years old. Bodybuilder. and uh, Absolutely. And uh, we've had a, a very interesting relationship over the years. 
and our kids are friends. And when he became governor, he asked me to become the chair of the California Fitness Council that he was right. under Pete Wilson. Okay. And uh, after he served, he said, you know, uh, I want to talk to you. You'd be interested in running for governor of California. And I said, ah, oh, come on. Arnold. You, you know, I, I don't know about that. He says, no, I want you to do it, Jake. And I, I spoke to Tracy, and I, I don't. Re- I love doing what I do in the private sector. Very honestly, I think all of us need to help. All of us need to right. philanthropically. We need to do things right. If it's small, middle, or big, my thing, as you remember, and you know, we go back a long way. I was a really overweight kid. I had a bad stutter growing up. My dad bought me a set of weights when I was thirteen. Changed my life. And not only did the weights build my body, but it built my confidence and self-esteem. So the fitness industry has been great. I've been very blessed in my life. Um, I thought, what a great way, you know, after serving with Arnold and seeing what he is able to do and what he has done, uh, I came up with these really cool programs in California. You remember when we were growing up, at least when I was in Baldwin, we had the President Kennedy's Fitness Challenge, right? That presidential challenge. And it was the... The standing broad jump. You had to climb a rope. You had to do sit-ups. Some crazy stuff. You had to run the 50-yard dash, which I ran in three days. And you got a patch, like the presidential award, the 100 percentile, which I never got. And it was a little embarrassing for kids who weren't in shape. So it wasn't conducive to exercise. You almost went the other way. So when I became chair of the Fitness Council in California... I said, I want. I have an idea for a program. Let's do the Governor's Fitness Challenge. Let's challenge kids to exercise 30 to 60 minutes every other day for a month, right? Let's get school kids involved, teachers involved. We did it. In 2006, we had 10,000 kids in California take the Fitness Challenge. By 2011, almost last year, we had 1,400,000 California kids. We had a certificate of completion. That Arnold and myself and signed. Administered, so there'd be some supervision, so yeah. kids aren't just making so, it up. It, it yeah. was, it was, but it was. You can hula hoop. You could walk into school when you're sitting at home with your family. Instead of uh, during a commercial, everyone does sit ups and push ups or jumping jacks, whatever it was. If your body is moving, man, yeah. you know the most underutilized antidepressant is exercise. And if you really think about it, whether you're angry, mad, sad, stressed out, just move your body. Move your body. So it, it's this thing of getting involved. I thought, you know what? I want to put a fitness center in every elementary and middle school in this great country of ours. Because uh, most high schools have them, right? Because yeah, they, yeah, and high school, you know, you know, everyone asks me the same question. Why not high schools? Yes, high schools do have them. Foot, football programs have them. But kids are still in that Gumby-ish stage, man. When you're a little kid, you know, you're, you're still moldable. And that's where I want to get them at. That's where I want to get kids at excited about exercise. Mm-hmm. And if you give the schools the tools, right, if you put a brand-new $100,000 Don't Quit Fitness Center in an elementary or middle school, right, and we've, go, I've, we've done 46 states. I've kept you abreast of every single one with 46 great you governors. You them all. You meet these governors. Taped and- them all. We've had incredible, incredible results. Tell you what happens, man. When you put a fitness center in a school, it becomes the hub of the community. Right. It because we, we put fitness centers where, you know, there aren't fitness centers with 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 miles, as well as good nutrition around the area. So this upward spiral of success happens because we challenge the school to say, keep the fitness center open before and after school and on weekends. Right. And 
not just the teachers and, and kids, but let's have the moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles get to exercise too. And the stories have been amazing. Look, I couldn't do any of this stuff without the support of the Coca-Cola company has been great. Uh, Anthem, which is now the Elevance Health Foundation and Nike. Those guys have been with me who, since What kind won. of equipment do you use? What kind of equipment Bre- do you use? Go to natgovfit.org. Look at the equipment. It rivals any any fitness center that you've ever been to. Right. It's great cardio equipment, weight training equipment. Obviously, we don't do dumbbells because we don't want to, you know, have little guys running around with dumbbells. With the growth plates open, it's, you still buy to that? Abs- like yeah. Easy I'm, on the weights? It's easier on. So, but, you're not but trying to have, max out before you're. That's exactly right. Okay. By the way, everything in moderation. Don't make yourself nuts. Don't make yourself crazy. Don't make exercise a second job. Right, and it's about motivating kids to not only build their bodies but right. confidence and self-esteem. Mental health is a is a massive issue today. Is so a massive issue. You're talking about don't make it your second job. You're up at four a.m. working out. There's not a time where you, you work out every day. Every day, six days, six days. You give yourself. I, I, I take off on Sundays, uh, but I'll go to the. I'll go into my gym and get a little. How are your from, How are your hinges holding up? Your shoulders, your elbows, shoulders, knees, back. Everything? Thankfully, I mean, I've been very blessed. Because you have your one workout. Do you vary it? I, yeah, I do. I mean, I do my body parts, old school, man, chest and tries, back and by, shoulders and legs. Easier on the legs these days because, uh, you know, when your thighs get too big, they don't look good on TV. Right. Uh, don't don't <laughs> cry. Uh, no, I think you, you always look good. Don't crush me. About two months ago, I go, yeah, I go, these jeans are, uh, I go, I need jeans that fit. He goes, yeah, you know, you got you to realize you don't have soccer legs anymore. Wow. It's crushed. Check, crushed please. Me. I'm Check, like, yeah. yeah. Well, and she thought she was helping me. That's, right. that's <laughs> but that, you know, because but, the stop and go muscles gives you pretty good thighs. Absolutely. Man. But the the idea of it's it's a well rounded program too. So you know, we talk a lot about music, right? Because ex- look, I'm oh, going to yeah, say you it, Brian. Playlist exercise is boring, right. right? Unless it's unless you're a wacko like me who loves getting in the gym. Exercise is boring, and when you have the right music that that you can work out with. Right. And now I've had a deal with Universal Music for the past 10 years. We have a label, Body by Jake Music. These great playlists. So great. You go to bodybyjake.com, check you them all out. Something else. But, well, you know what, though? Because it's, it's endemic to everything that I so do. So if I want to get your playlist, where do I go? Go to bodybyjake.com. Right. And it's on Spotify, Apple Music. So you worked it right. I we, don't have to do it. We, no, we got it all for you. But now, I don't know if you heard of this, this thing called lo fi. Now remember, so lo fi in our world was more Muzak was more elevator music. But today the kids are using this thing called lo-fi to kind of slow things down. They take out the lead vocals and and they and they make this music really interesting so they can study to more mindfulness. Allison, have you heard of this? Because you know how many times I hear a song and I say that would be a great bump in music, but the lyrics come in? You can take Well this we've got thing- let me tell you what we're doing. So with my friends at Universal Music and Body by Jake Music We've we we're we're doing a bunch of the Motown hits right. to lo-fi, so we're calling it Lotown, and I'm going to do motivation uh, weaved inside of the music. I'm not singing, believe me, don't worry. But I'll do some motivation yeah. inside on top of the music beds, cool. and it's great for motivation, inspiration, mindfulness to calm you down. Not only do you want to get pumped up, we got plenty of pumped up music, but a lot of people. But- Need to relax. Gotcha. I got to ask you, too, about the big craze, and we're seeing it. You know, I watch all these celebrities now. They're half the size. Kelly Clarkson, I don't yeah. know what she's doing. I don't know if she if she got, is doing jazzercise. Who knows? Well, uh, but jazzercise, there's a blast. Yeah. 
Uh, how about how about this Ozempic and all those? Derivatives? Listen, man, you, you know you got to check with a doctor before doing anything. You don't trust it. I've, I, it's not about not trusting. I just don't ever think there's a shortcut to anything, man. In life, you got to work. And what happens is you're becoming a smaller, flabbier you, right? So you got to exercise. You got to move your so body. So you even take Ozempic, you got to work out. You got to exercise. You got to work out. But no different than steroids. You know, you're taking steroids and you're looking in the mirror and you're getting pumped up. When you stop taking the steroids, you kind of deflate. And that screws with your mind. No different than looking in the mirror and you are overweight, right? Listen, when I went to get my bar mitzvah suit, man, we went to Cy Sims out in the island, you know. And I was looking at a suit and the guy kept pushing me way down to the back to the husky section. You know, where the suits look like uh, shower curtains. never forget that. Shower curtains with buttons. That's what it looked like. And I had husky emblazoned on the sleeve, you know, of my jacket. And I went, I'm trying to take it off. I said, Ma, what does husky mean? And very quickly she said, honey, it means you're a young man. And I didn't want to take that patch off until the morning of my bar mitzvah. My father said, get the patch off. Take it off. So why? It means I'm a young man. He goes, no, it doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> but you remember that it was motivation. Listen, I'll, it was be, motivation. I'll be 66 in February. Yeah. Right. Tyrus, who was just here, February 21st. Same me too. Same, yeah. Same Bert. What a good guy. And you do, you're in great shape. Now your goal is to keep, stay 10 more years, 20 more years. Yeah. Working out Listen, I train every day. I'm all about reps. Right. You know, you don't have to go super heavy anymore. Find something you love to do. I, I love the iron, man. I do 100 rep sets. A lot of people go, what? 100 reps. Crazy? 100 rep sets. Come to the gym, we do 100 rep sets. So what you do and is take your max and go to what, 50, 40% I take it 50%. So, you know, I do 70-pound dumbbells on a chest press on my back. You and do, I'll 100 do 100 reps. Yeah. You do 100? 100 reps. That's incredible. 100 bicep curls, pull downs. Yeah, I love it. And I go into – so what you do, and I'll give you a little tip. This is for everybody, right? And, and, uh, uh, and you can follow, obviously, an official body by Jake. Uh, but think about this. Getting in the gym first thing in the morning, it's not just about the body workout. It's the mental workout we talked about, but I visualized. Like I knew I was doing Fox and Friends this morning with you guys. I knew I'm doing the radio show with you. Like we go back a long way. But I also visualize everything that I have to do during the day that I work through with every repetition. While you're working out in the morning. During my workout. So by the end of the workout, yeah, I've worked my, because today's Thursday, my chest and tries. Right. Did my abs. But I also got through the entire day. Gotcha. Jake, uh, fantastic. Uh, Jake Steinfeld, uh, try to keep up with him. I dare you. Uh, <laughs> at Body by Jake, he's got it all there. In Instagram. All, and Official all. Body by Jake. Yeah, Official man. Body by Jake. Not Body of Jake. Bo- That's what Lawrence. Lawrence called you. I love it. I think I might change it, though. I think we might have to change it. You might owe money. So don't uh, well, no, I don't think I will. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick coming up next. Don't move. Honest commentary. Unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Our statement is consistent with DOJ's filing. As the DOJ filing said, there was an ongoing emergency situation that Border Patrol was blocked from accessing. There were other migrants in the in the water as well. But I'm just saying there was separate. There was an ongoing. The White House statement implies it says the White House statement says that Texas officials blocked U.S. Border Patrol from attempting to provide emergency assistance to 
There were other there were other migrants in the water. Then why as wasn't well. that included in the there statement? There were other migrants in the water. That, that, that that's what you were our, referring to. Our statement is this is very very much consistent with DOJ filing. Anything else specific you want to know about that? Well, you hear this ridiculous do. stance the press secretary took yesterday, just trying to avoid the facts that Texas National Guard did not stand by and let illegal immigrants drown in the Rio Grande. That just didn't happen. And when the facts came out, they still don't acknowledge it. It must drive Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick nuts of Texas. He joins us now. Uh, Dan, great to hear from you. Thanks for calling in. I got to ask you, your reaction to their denials. Yeah, I, I'm tired of the lies, uh, Brian. I, You know, it's it's a really harsh thing to say someone's a liar. But when you have a press secretary and an administration that lies to the American people, it has to be called out. And, you know, it's dangerous enough, Brian, for any anyone to lie to you. But for an elected official to lie to you is one thing or their appointees like her. Um, but it's another thing when they know they're lying and they know you know they're lying because they've been shown the facts and they continue to lie. I mean, that is uh, – it's just – I'm tired of it, and we're tired of it in Texas. Look, we lost a National Guardsman who drowned himself while he was actually – on vacation with his family or a day off near the border when he saw people struggling. He wanted to save them, and he drowned. We saved more people out of that Red River, I mean out of the Rio Grande River, than the Border Patrol does. I mean we've got boats on the water. We're out there trying to save people all the time. Uh, this is just – it's it's we, they owe the state of Texas an apology. Just a month ago, Brian, the FBI came down because – Someone uh, working for the Biden administration said they had a videotape that we were running our boats over illegal immigrants. Well, we know that's not true. So the FBI, to their credit, looked at the tapes, and they came back the next day and said, no, you weren't running over them. You were trying to save them. We apologize. And remember years ago, Brian, you know, supposedly we told DPS to whip, you know, whip people, and it was just the guys on the horseback. They've never apologized for that. This is – look, this this group – of, of Biden, Kamala Harris, Mayorkas, and, and uh, John Pierre. They're like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and death rides with them. All the people who have drowned in the river, mm. all the women who have been raped, all the people who have died of fentanyl on our side, the people who die in car chases on our side, the, the, those who cross and run away from police get thrown out of truck and t- five, ten die at a time. All those deaths are on right. the Biden administration, not Texas. But the thing is, it's now a national story, and almost everybody with this, who can't is not knee deep in Democratic ideology, which that's that is shrinking by the day. Understands the the crisis that you are living with. Are you hopeful yeah. at all uh, outside Donald Trump winning election that anything's going to get done to help the people of Texas to help our country? <laughs> well, Brian, we have spent. Over $10 billion since I've been lieutenant governor as president of the Senate, I have to authorize that money on, on border security. We have thousands of, of, of troopers, National Guardsmen. We've got concertina wire, buoys in the water. We're building the wall. We're doing all we can. But they keep coming because Biden keeps walking them, walking them in. I, I said earlier today, crossing the border, Brian, we've had drug dealers, gang members, murderers, molesters, rapists, terrorists, carjackers, kidnappers. They're all coming, and Biden doesn't care. Now, that's not the vast majority of people, but they're in the mix. I mean, we've arrested almost 300 terrorists who have crossed the border on the terrorist watch list. So, Brian, we passed a law at the end of last session in November or December, Senate Bill 4. I wrote part of the bill, a big part of the bill. Um, we want this to go to the Supreme Court. We want to challenge the Biden administration that we have the right to defend our border. And Arizona tried it. They lost 
Our bill is better, stronger, and this is a different court. So we have a right to protect ourselves from an invasion, and we're doing all we can. In terms of that park uh, that they say we're not letting anyone on, look, we have a right, Brian, we believe under the Constitution, for ingress and egress of any property in the state of Texas, and that's what we're doing. So the the mayor, the Democratic mayor, came out and said, no one informed me of this, and uh, clashes with and, and your reaction to that? Yeah, um, I don't know if he was informed directly or not, but we have a right to go in there as the state uh, and protect our citizens. Um, look, we, we have, yeah. for example, we have state troopers that go into cities where there's crime. Uh, we've been called in. Sometimes we go in on our own if uh, if mayors aren't taking action. Look, all these mayors down there, um, they are uh, they are under the gun. Um, there's a lot of pressure on them. Uh, they usually work well with us. So I don't know that communication. Here's what I do know. Thousands and thousands and thousands are crossing the river into that park, and we had to stop it. Border Patrol acts like a bunch of Motel 6 uh, people at the desk just issue, you know, yeah. ushering in people into the country by the millions. Uh, I'm glad you're doing it. Uh, you're doing it for the country and the people of Texas to put you in the position. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you, Brian. You got it. Uh, thanks so much for listening. By the way, keep it here. Go to BrianKilme.com. I want to see you in Joliet, Illinois, Sunday at 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock local time, 3 o'clock, or watch on Fox Nation. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.